0: you know we've got some big problems to solve on this planet we need the ingenuity of the human spirit to be fully engaged how brilliantly could we all be doing if the other 70 percent were engaged too
1: hello and welcome to Minter dialogue episode number 326 today is sunday the 5th of may 2019 and this interview is with nikki Gatton. Nikki is founder and managing director of the marketing agency PropellerNet, based in Brighton, UK. She's consistently been described as a great boss, running an agency that decided there's a great place to work every year since 2013. Nikki's also author of the best-selling book, Super Engaged, How to Transform Business Performance by Putting People and Purpose First. In this conversation, we discuss how Nikki's created such a powerful agency, with a super-engaged workforce, the lessons learned, and how other entrepreneurs and business leaders could create their own super-engaged teams. Welcome to the Minter Dialogue podcast, where we discuss branding and all things digital. I am Minterdial your host, and you'll find the show notes on my eponymous site, Minterdial.com. Enjoy the show. Nikki Gassenby, you and I, well, at least I met you for the first time, thanks to our mutual friend, Kate Alexander Dobrovlayskaj. And yeah. um, we we were talking about great bosses, and everything I've known, come to understand about you, um, certainly reinforces that. You are the MD and owner of PropellerNet, which That's is constantly cited as a great place to work, best place to work. And as far as this conversation is mostly going to be concerned, you're also the author of the best-selling, Super Engaged, How to Transform Business Performance by Putting People and Purpose First. So with that, Nikki, how do you like to describe yourself? (laughs)
0: <laughs> i think you've taken the words right out of my mouth There you go. Um, <laughs> yeah yeah my my whole d'être for being a business is that we can all enjoy what we do every day we spend plenty of our time at work we might as well have a good time doing it and the unofficial title of the book is is how to have a right at work <laughs> I believe it's a fundamental human right we spend far too much time not enjoying work so the, the book and the way i run our business is very much about trying to change that
1: yeah i mean in the end of the day it it does seem so obvious that with people, your employees, anyone working, spending so many hours at work, how can we not want to make that part of our lives?
0: It does seem crazy. And it's it's in pursuit of profit. We have turned into beasts that I think have become quite ugly. When in actual fact, if you put people in purpose first, the profit will come. If you put profit first, people tend to leave. And I've seen it happen time and time again. It's, it's slightly counterintuitive to focus everything on money. But unfortunately, in, in the world we live in, spreadsheets seem to rule. And it's you can forget about the humans that are behind the spreadsheets. And that seems a bit dark.
1: So I, I was listening to another podcast recently. Um, and a woman who's also an author has written a book. And, and she says, it doesn't really matter what your purpose is as long as you have a purpose. And says so she goes on to say, if your purpose is to have a Maserati, then that's a great purpose. And I can't help but think that, <clears throat> excuse me, frog in my throat, that that actually is a purpose tantamount to having more money, which is more profits. What do you think?
0: I think the word purpose is very is flexed to people's needs. Um, and what I mean by purpose is something that people can align to, something that isn't potentially selfish, it's more selfless, and it's about everybody coming together behind a purpose that's going to add good into the world. Because, you know, business was created by humans, not the other way around. And business should be a force for good, not something we become slaves to. It should be about putting putting things right or making things better. So so a, a selfish purpose, I don't think the word purpose is the right description. I would be happy to have the conversation with a person who wants the Maserati because I quite fancy one too, but that's not my purpose in life. Um, but I just think the word purpose is very loaded and very charged and we need to be clear what we actually mean.
1: Mm, totally agree. I mean, this idea of galvanizing a, com- a community or a company around profit is 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 so non-differentiable because every business wants to seek some profit and if it's about selfishness for the owner then it's it seems hard to imagine why the rest of the troops are going to fight hand over fist in order to get you your maserati
0: yeah it, i mean it's it's actually insane to think like that because we are all human, (laughs) we all breathe the same air, we all speak and communicate in the same way. You know, we we shouldn't be elevating one person above another and expecting everyone to fall into line. Not in the way we work in the world today. We should have a very different perspective. That's not 21st century thinking. That's not future fit fit thinking. Mm. That's not sustainable.
1: I agree. So um, let's just dig in on super engaged a second and, and Uh, You presumably have already talked a little bit about what are your core beliefs within it. Um, Tell us, what are the underpinnings of Super Engaged?
0: So firstly, everyone has the right to enjoy life. And a lot of what we do in our life is work. So we need to be able to enjoy our work, to have a very fruitful life, to have a very purposeful life. Secondly, business was created by humans and not the other way around. We should not be slaves to what we've created. For some reason, it's turned into that in a lot of instances, but we absolutely need to look at it from a different angle. And thirdly, with the right leaders, we can all be successful. With the wrong ones, the exact opposite can happen. And that's, that's the state we're in right now on, on Earth. We live in a world where only 30% of people are engaged in their jobs. That means the other 70% have left their ingenuity at home, probably not bringing their full selves to work, possibly just hoping not to get fired. What a waste of our collective human intelligence is that? And how bad is it for business? You know, we've got some big problems to solve on this planet. We need the ingenuity of the human spirit to be fully engaged. How brilliantly could we all be doing if the other 70% were engaged too? How much better could each of our companies be doing if everyone was more engaged? And we need to think about how we can make that happen. And, you know, it's not that hard. It's about having a human perspective. So those those are the core beliefs that have underpinned the book. And I've seen... The bad working practices. I've been in businesses where they have happened and I've learnt an incredible amount about what I don't think is the right thing to do. So, you know, having that learning, having that experience is enabled me to flip some of those thinking on its head and actually do things differently and, and, and put people first with that belief. That if you put people first, the money will come. If you put money first, people will leave. And it's, it's as I say, it's not rocket science, but happy people do better work than miserable people.
2: Mm.
0: It's not rocket science, but it's barely factored into, into the business plan.
1: Right, so... You know, you and I are, see eye to eye on this, obviously, and it, it, yet there's so many situations where they're not. And and so the interesting part becomes, how did Nicky Gattenby get into this? And, you know, to the extent that you weren't born with this thought, I mean, naturally, you were, you know, born with Mama as a first thought, kind of thing. <laughs> but you know, afterwards, you, you develop into this personality and this leader what 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 is it that actually made you pivot into this i mean not to say you didn't believe in purpose you know at some level but what hap- what happened to convince you that this is the way you had to be a leader
0: yeah that's a really interesting question into that. um laughter is a is a common theme in my life i'm a, I, I'm very vocal with my laughter, and I found myself being two different people between work and life mm. Very happy, very jovial, very, very driven outside of work, but in work, for almost becoming so focused on the next, the next, the next, never stopping to celebrate, never stopping to appreciate what was around me, and that that kind of dual personality, I found really uncomfortable and really difficult to deal with. And I also noticed I worked in the advertising industry for years in in London and a brief stint in Paris, and worked with various captains of industry, and a little bit disappointed each time at the single line focus on money and the margin on people's head, rather than the human side of the business. And the irony being, if you put people first, the business performance increases, your profit naturally does too. And when I hit my first burnout, and I've had two, I really crashed. I I literally crashed. I was on my motorbike and I was going commuting Hmm. to work and I crashed. And to this day, I still don't know if I was concentrating enough. I was completely not at fault from a a driver bike situation. Somebody came out of the drive and smacked into me and I just went headfirst into a lamppost. I was taken to hospital and the four and a half minutes it took to get from Battersea to Chelsea and Westminster, which is by any straight a miracle in rush hour traffic. I was absolutely terrified that that could be it. And I crashed quite badly at that moment in time. But you know what? At the time, I didn't do anything about it. I had this glittering career in advertising. I, you know, I got up. I thankfully walked away from the hospital and I went back to my work. And it, it kind of made me think that I didn't actually make a physical change about changing my job and changing my life. I then went to work in Paris and set up the French arm of the, the London agency in Paris. And it, it, it was wonderful on one hand, but it was it was too intense on the other. I was working like a robot. I didn't have any time off. I was doing seven days a week. It was you know, very self-driven by myself. And one morning I woke up unable to move. Hmm. Now, I don't like feeling trapped <laughs> <laughs> emotionally, physically, mentally. And that that was the moment. That was the moment I said to myself, you have to make a change here. You know how to motivate people. You have a brilliant team. My team was the biggest in the business we had. It had the most um, highest self-attention. People were the happiest. But it was all at the expense of me just pushing, 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 pushing all the time. And I decided I needed to do something different. And at that moment, that penny-dropping moment for me, I started to lift my head up and look around and saw stress levels through the roof. People under the age of 40 having heart attacks in our industry. And I Hmm. thought this insane what are we doing when did it become feasible for a cerebral career career like marketing to actually destroy people and i've done a lot of research into this and reading around and, and and taking it up a few gears in japan stress levels are so high they people are actually dying at their desks and it's now so common they have a word for it and it's karoshi there is a word to describe a death at work what on earth is happening um I've also looked at the other side of things. So in um, the Danes, see the world has a very different perspective. And they have a, a word for happiness at work. And excuse my pronunciation for anybody who's Danish, but it's Arbush Glider. Isn't that wonderful? There's two different perspectives on the world of work, Arbush Glider and Karoshin. I've decided, i decided I want a bit more Arbush Glider in the, in the way that we work and what we do. And I started talking to a lot of other people about what was important to them in the way they worked. And I met a, a friend, Jack who had uh, agency, and one of the core values of the agency was well-being. Now, that was a complete anathema to me, because huh. the agency values we had before were all about creativity, Performance. vision and impact, which is great, absolutely, but where's the balance? You know, we are still human. We are not robots yet. We need time and space to think and be creative. And with the threat of AI coming and people scared about what's going to happen next we need to make sure we can enhance the creativity of us and have the space and time to think about us in order to do work and come up with ideas that might just light up the world, not be so knackered that we can't get up from our desk and we might, you know, be in the heart attack risk zone. So it was a very personal thing for me. Two crashes, one very physical, one where I couldn't move, that made me start to think there's a different way to do this. And I still love being in the creative industry, but there had to be a balance.
1: It's funny, I... I time and again when i have the topic of purpose on the table Mm
2: -hmm.
1: it does seem that the individual on the other end has had a life-changing experience that has made them see the light and it's the same for me it's the same for it seems so many people that are actually have sort of converted to this notion and and yet the idea should be well do you need to have a crash in order to find this light.
0: Mm. Isn't it ironic because sometimes the the most amazing things come out of adversity and Mm. sometimes you need to fight something to know what the other side looks like. And I do worry sometimes that my business now is so positive for people and we take a lot of time and attention on well being, and we focus on people's ability to grow and develop themselves. That, you know, how on earth would they know what it's like not to be in that environment? And you can't say, "Oh, do you know how lucky you are?" And do you know how good you? Are? That's, that's irrelevant. But it's it. You kind of do need to have a benchmark to know what's what's right and what what doesn't work.
2: The
1: other thing that's interesting about what you said is you, the, you like to laugh outside, and now presumably you laugh inside all the time. In large corporations, the 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 general modus operandi is to to leave your laughter at home. A, when you laugh, you're you're bearing your soul. You you find that funny. You're showing your sense of humor, and 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 um. And so you 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 say, well, you know, leave your politics and your sense of humor at home because get off color and it can be politically incorrect to to be the slightest, say the slightest about politics. Of course, but when when you bring personality to work, how do you gauge how not to go too far? I mean, you know like the, the TMI too much information. oh well, I, I had a messy morning you know in the bathroom. Oh whoa <laughs> That's me, but you know, may not need that. How do you know where to put the the line how do you, How do you judge that?
0: It's interesting, isn't it, because as humans, we naturally understand each other when we're youngsters you see kids playing and they, they know where to go they know what to do they're mucking about and it's only as they get older inhibitions start to creep in and, and we've become paralyzed by our inhibitions in the boardroom or the meeting room or wherever we are and sometimes you don't even have to say anything you know laughter predates language laughter was a way we communicated before we have language you can laugh about something that's happened in a room and you will get that room coming with you you may not get everybody but you'll get you'll create a different sense in a room if you bring laughter into it I, nine times out of ten, when I walk into a room, I will find something to engage and laugh about. It doesn't have to be anything deeply serious. It doesn't have to be TMI, but it, it's just lifting the conversation. And when you do that, you, you can work out how cheeky you can be or how far you can go. And actually, people like it when you bring a bit of human spirit in. It doesn't matter how senior you are. And in fact, the more senior people are, the more they like the laughter because, my God, their day's pretty serious. It is. A little bit, a little bit of light and sunshine into the room with you know, insight and impact that goes with it. You're going to have a much better conversation.
1: Then the other thing. So, all good. You're laughing. Things are going well. People are super happy. You're you're still you're best place to work. What happens when shit hits the fan? I mean, you know, down ten percent. Got to fire people. How do how does how do you manage to get through that?
0: Um, one of, one of my um, one of my coaches. I have to called me beautifully ruthless because when something when the shit hits the fan I don't hide it we talk about the numbers with the team we talk about the impacts and we share the problems now for some people that could be too much now this whole being a great place to work thing isn't about being nice shiny happy sk- you know skipping through the fields it's about high challenge but with a lot of support so if we hit an issue or we decide to part company with a client or there's a big numbers impact we will talk about it with a team and we'll share our options and ask people what they think could be done. And sometimes we do have, you know, we have made redundancies in the past. And my God, it hurts. But we do it with an open mind. And we do it with an open perspective. As open as you can be in a redundancy yeah, situation. Yeah,
1: sure. Well, I mean, it's, it's, as long as you have that sort of authenticity and, and uh, your, your good intention, you're well-intentioned around it, then bad news is, is going to be a little easier to swallow. One of the things that I want to, you to explain to our listeners is how do you get your purpose and the purpose of your individuals out there and can you talk us through that process of hiring and uh, because when I listened to it I found it fascinating
0: so understanding if people understand how our business works before they even set foot in the door and they engage that before they set foot in the door we have a great starting place for people to be engaged the minute they walk in so we are very true to our values and we hold them dear and we talk about them. So our values are innovation and creativity, what clients tend to buy us for, fun, adventure and well-being. And we need to be living and breathing all of those. They're not just on a PowerPoint slide in someone's drawer no. or something as an induction. So when people come into the, the business for an interview, you know, they've heard about us nine times out of ten, they'll have seen one of us standing on stage talking about the business or they've had a recommendation from a friend or whatever. And I, I ask them and I, I want to get a good answer from this. They so, Tell me about creativity you're into. How creative are you? Show me some of your creative pursuits. What innovations do you think are interesting and why? Are you fun to be with? Because that's really important. You know, we want people who are going to engage with each other. Do you have a sense of adventure? Now, that one people find a bit tricky. Mm -hmm. know that if they can push themselves because we work in a, mer- a world in digital marketing that is at the cutting edge of technology things change on an hourly basis it's not even monthly or weekly or daily it's hourly you have to have a spirit of adventure you can bring to work where well, you will try a few things and risk a few things and we try not to talk about failure we talk about learning you know it's it's, it's just the change in the language to get people to understand what we do in the business. And, you know, And do you take care of yourself? Because you need to take care of yourself to be able to take care of other people. That lovely phrase, put your own oxygen mask on first. Mm-hmm. What do you do to take care of yourself? And if I see people's eyes light up when we talk about these values, I know we're on a good hiding to, to be going forward with them. Skills are one thing, absolutely brilliant. Most people can nail that. They wouldn't apply for the job if they couldn't. But the values and the attitude is a really, really important conversation to know if we're going to get off on, on a good foot.
1: And then you have this question you ask them which is essentially what is their dream
0: (laughs) yes so we most people treat a probation period as a formal tick box exercise and that always seemed a bit odd to me our probation is six months and in other places i've worked and i've chatted with people about this a probation period or date could kind of come and go and no one really says anything about it. And the person who's in probation is like, well, have I passed? Am I staying? Am I going to get, have to get my code?" And it's all a little bit of uncertainty. And, um, and probably know by now, I, I don't quite like that. I'd like to be out in the open with things and talk about stuff. So we have a six month probation. And at three months, we have a check in point. And we talk about this openly in an interview where the person who is in probation does an NPS score or whether or not they would recommend working at Propelnet, and do they want to stay? We want to know within three months if they're you know, enjoying themselves, able to do good work, having impact, etc. What we also do is get other people in the business to score that person on the likelihood they would recommend them to stay as well. So you are being scored one to 10 by your peers in the business. Now, some people take a sharp intake of breath at that and think, oh, my God, that's horrendous. It's not done out of trying to trip anybody up. It's done to understand if there are any issues and we can help them get over those issues so they fly through their probation at six months. So we are quite probation intensive talking about how people can absolutely fly to make sure they, they you know, feel like they're winning and they're succeeding. Because if you start with success, you can continue with success. If someone starts feeling like a failure and no one actually picks it up, it's that elephant in the room that no one's going to talk about. But that, that's a bit shit. No, no, no. Let's talk about this stuff. So if people have gone through that process. They know why they're there. They've talked about why they're there. They understand they can have an impact and others are really valuing them being there too. We've got to a point at six months when they pass their probation and we want to celebrate it. So in our company meeting, which is every Friday at four o'clock, it has been for the last eight years, called New News, we celebrate people passing their probation. And we have a chat. I ask them two questions, not publicly, but you know, me and, me and them out for coffee or what have you. The first question is, what are you going to do personally? Not what you want anybody else to do. What are you going to do personally? to make this agency more successful. So where the high challenge comes in, I want to know what impact you're gonna have. And if that happens, and we are not successful, what could we do to make one of your dreams come true? Now, it's quite an odd question for an employer to ask one of their team. Mm. And some people are a little taken aback, although we do talk about it in interviews, so they know that they need to prepare for it. And some absolutely fly with it. And I've done quite a lot of research into this. We all have around 100 dreams going around in our head, in our subconscious at any one time. Places we want to go, people we want to meet, things we want to achieve, things we want to learn. But we rarely talk about them in that sense. We may say, I've got a bucket list or I want to go here. But we rarely talk about how can we actualise our dreams. Well, actually, that's very important because it's very life affirming to bring a dream to life. And if you start talking about it and somebody else takes your dream seriously, it really starts to become true. You know, if you want to buy a new car or a new camera or something and you start seeing more of these things out in the public or out on the road, it's similar with dreams. you start articulating what they are they can start to form a life of their own and actually start to come true and i've had this conversation there's 60 in our team with with many people now and i've got around 300 of my team's dreams going around in my head because Hmm. people have more than one dream and it's an amazing thing to be thinking about and it's amazing how many of them we've helped come true so some of them are really easy and we can do it on the spot almost some of them we wait until we release a dream ball from our dream ball machine. And I'll explain that in a second to help make that dream come true. But some of them are so compelling, they make it onto our business plan. And this is a fundamentally different way that we are growing our business because we're bringing our people's side hustles in—the things that they love on the outside world. They no longer have to park and put outside; they can bring it into the business. And oh my God, the loyalty you get off the back of that! The way people enjoy the work that they're doing because it's part of what they're dreaming about doing anyway is absolutely game-changing for business performance
1: just before you get into the dream ball <laughs> this this notion of the side hustle i've had a few conversations with with people about this and it does seem that as certainly as you get older anyway we all have side hustles we you know we've developed other interests and so on and so often in big business the side hustle is is Verboten. It's, you know, it's, you have mm-hmm. to keep it under wraps, whether you're blogging about uh, butterfly collections or whatever it might be. And yet that's where people go to in in subterfuge and or as a place to to feel, get fulfillment. There's the slog and then there's the side hustle and actually bringing the side hustle into work and, and making it apparent. I, you know, I, I think that's sort of what's behind that 20% time off at Google or when, when they have that kind of idea yeah. Yeah. To, to the extent that you can link it into business so much the better, but if it becomes part of you at business, at least there's, there's a constant notion of fulfillment.
0: Yes, absolutely. And why should it be on the side when it actually could be part of the business? I'll just give you a couple of examples. Who These are really practical and any business could do this. It's it's not something unique to us. And in fact, I've spoken to many businesses now who do. So Andy is one of our client partners. He is hugely into cycling. He must cycle about 200 miles a week. He's done lots of charity rides. He's done uh, Brighton to Amsterdam for Brighton Housing Trust, which is our local charity. He does a lot of stuff out in and out of work around cycling. So when we talked about history of all consultation, he said to me, I'd absolutely love to work with more cycling clients. Which, do you know what, is pretty easy. (laughs) Okay, if your life is going to, if your world is going to be set on fire and you're going to be absolutely on fire working on bikes all day, let's have a look and see if we can get any cycling clients in. The minute you start thinking about these things, the world moves in mysterious ways. Mm -hmm. Unity's come up and serendipity happens. And Evan Cycles got in touch with us a few weeks later and said, would you pitch for the business? Now, we knew, and our confidence levels were high, with someone like Andy in the room, who was an absolute cycling nut, he would be able to speak the client's language. He would be able to get under the skin of the brand. He would be able to help them understand what they could be doing differently. And the first challenge they gave us was helping them in the e-bike market because there's a lot of misunderstanding what e-bikes are and how they work. Uh, Do you need an engine? Do you have to have lessons? All that kind of stuff. And they wanted us to help them break through and be market leaders in that category. A purposeful side of this is if you can get people out of their cars and onto bikes to commute to work, you reduce their risk of heart attack by around 42 percent we know from working with the British heart foundation so it felt like a really good brief to go for one andy would be in his element two e-bikes are a good thing from an environmental perspective and from the national health perspective and three you wanted to have a good go at this so our idea was around using nostalgia to engage the the uk population around bikes and i don't know if you remember the famous sir Ridley scott hovers advert from 1973 mm. where a small boy cycles up a hill a very steep hill delivering bread and it was called Gold, Gold Hill. It's um, based a steep hill in the UK. And the chap who cycled up it at the time was about seven, this guy called Carl Barlow. Now, he's in his 60s now, and he's an ex-firefighter. And we tracked Carl down, and we asked him if he wouldn't mind cycling up Gold Hill again, <laughs> but this time on an e-bike.
2: Wow. And
0: it, long story short, it went crazy. It was in every single national paper, got on the sofas in the morning, uh, TV shows, Evan's client was really happy. We increased their market share of the e-bike market by 32% and put that message in front of millions of people. Now, I'm not saying we couldn't have done that without knowing Andy's dream, but, my God, the benefits of knowing that that's what he wanted to do and being able to really focus our purpose on working in that way made a massive difference to us and the client and all the people who've now got out of their cars and onto e-bikes. It's
2: a lovely story.
0: it's really simple though, isn't it? It's, it's not It's not just saying, we'll take on any new business we can and everyone has to be excited about it. No, focus where you want to look at. What excites your people? What are they excited about? Because they will do much better work.
1: One of the things that you and I have spoken about is the the notion of size. Because you have purposefully wanted your agency to be of a certain size. Because when you look at, these gargantuan multinationals and we start talking about purpose and, and living people's dreams uh, when you have 30,000 employees sounds, well, totally improbable and um, uh, infeasible. In do you, do you believe that there's a way to scale this? And, and if so, how would you do that?
0: Well, it depends what you're looking to scale. If you're looking sc- to scale listening to people if you're looking to scale feedback and acting on it i don't think there's a problem if you're looking to scale being human i don't really see what the issue is i completely understand your question but why can't we why is why is there such an issue with scale why do we fall back on spreadsheets and heavy process and things that robots can do when we're working in a world? An environment where, if we don't do what the robots can't do, we won't be doing anything.
1: Well, for example, there's one, Nikki Gatenby, <laughs> uh, and it helps that Nikki is at the head of this company with this sort of driven idea, motivated by a, a very important life-changing experience. When you get you know, to a thousand people, you, Nikki, can't be involved in the recruitment of everybody. So you're obviously having to delegate, and other people parse out and bring their personality, which might be a little bit different. And and over time, there's there's a flattening out, uh, so that the the asperity of your thought gets diluted out. Because well, we, do, we actually we really need that competency, and we don't need the attitude just yet. You know, we need to have a great AI expert. it Doesn't matter if he's not particularly nice. Or, or funny and and it, and it quickly peters out at scale. And so the question then becomes, you know, how far can you go with this idea? Being human is great, but really at 20,000 people, the, the issue is that you have many cultures involved. You're, you're obviously many different types of processes. You've got legal team that's yes. bigger than your entire company.
0: Yes. And it is it's a really good question. And I always go back to the numbers on this, basis because that's where the argument tends to lie and I've had many a conversation with financial directors of companies about how to make this work because many these go okay, I don't care about the culture I just want to see the numbers well I'm sorry but for the future the culture is what's going to create the numbers I ask people to look at the engagement levels in their business and if, if we look at the global levels if only 30% of your people are engaged that means you're wasting 70% of your salary bill that is not good business if you have high staff turnover rates because you're employing people that are a bit shitty or you're employing people that are a bit toxic that's going to cost you money there's a brilliant book by um, randy street and and um called who and it relates to the fact after talking to 20 billionaires who run companies and over three million people with, around the world that if you recruit the wrong person it can cost you 15 times their salary that is bad business if you want to throw metrics into the argument, there are 101 metrics to back up the reasons why we need to be more human. We're just costing ourselves money by being process led and not thinking about the person that comes on board. And if you want to go down that route and just be process led, there's going to be so much waste in the system. You're actually counterintuitive and counteracting what you want to achieve from a profit perspective. If you are in a business that's toxic and difficult and no fun, your sickness rates will be through the roof that's going to cost you money in london the lord mayor's office have said that sickness absence cost london 10.4 billion a year that's insane mm. so it's a question of not is it scalable it's it has to be scalable we have to start thinking differently if we want to pursue the numbers and get to the profit levels to understand the people that are actually making that happen it's not all about the shareholders it's about the stakeholders And if people who are leading businesses can't see that, then I don't believe they deserve to be leading those businesses.
1: Let's just have one last question, which is about this notion of your shareholders. I don't know to what extent you are 100% owner and that you might have shareholders. What is the insight or the tip that you would have when you're dealing with your shareholders and trying to explain to them, listen, I want to have engaged employees and I want to be purpose first over profit?
0: So there are, and I don't have them at my fingertips, there are statistics to show that shareholder value increases with the higher engagement levels within your staff. The Gallup survey of over 1.8 million people on our planet has showed the top 25% of companies in terms of engagement actually deliver 200% better from a profit perspective. I need to get you these figures, Minter, so you can actually put them in the in the text with this um, podcast. But sure. evidence out there to show you that shareholder value is impacted by staff engagement.
1: Well, so in other words, find the numbers to support your argument. Mm -hmm. Brilliant. So, Nikki, thank you so much for coming on the show, talking about your engagement. You can hear it, your energy in your voice. Hopefully it's inspiring a few others to follow that same path and hopefully not have to crash into a lamppost (laughs) in order to make it happen. So, Nikki, tell us how people can, in your favorite way, track you down. Uh, find your book and uh, and follow what you're up to.
0: Thank you. So if you Google Super Engaged, all word, we will come up in the search engines. If you find me, on, I'm on Twitter, Nikki Gattenby. I'm on LinkedIn, Nikki Gattenby. Or you can get in touch at superengaged.co.uk any of those channels, very happy to talk. There's a whole raft of conversations to be had and there's lots of practical advice and evidence in the book to show you how this kind of stuff can be applied. It's, as I say, it's not rocket science. It just needs a slightly different perspective and a slightly different lens on being human in a world of humans.
1: Well, I I congratulate you and I think while it may not be rocket science, it does take courage and leadership and, and I think you incarnate that. Thank you so much, Nikki.
0: Thank you, Rita. Lovely
1: to talk to you. Thanks for having listened to this recording of the Minta Dialogue show. You'll find the show notes and other blog posts on minterdial.com. If you enjoyed the show, please head over to iTunes to give a rating and review. And to finish, here's a song I wrote with Stephanie Singer, A Convinced Man.
2: tucked around What's wrong with challenge? I know soon we all die. I like the feel of a stranger tucked around me, precipitating the danger to feel free, trusting my reason.